We are in a really interesting part of the book of Revelation. There's a lot of information here. Uh, each section now will seem to bring up something new and controversial and people will have their opinions about what they think each one of these things are. We're talking about the beast that comes out of the sea, the beast that comes out of the, the land. We're talking about mystery Babylon and people will have their opinions. Just a couple of weeks ago, we covered the two witnesses and interesting how many comments we got uh, on that it was that it's not two people that it's the Old and New Testament. And, and my response to the, it's the Old and New Testament was interesting how it was killed and resurrected. I'm not sure how you kill and resurrect the Old and New Testament. But you're always going to find people that have these really bizarre different views about what you find in the book of Revelation. But here's the thing. It explains itself when you're going through it. When you're finding these things, it will tell you what they are. You don't have to guess what they are. What were the two witnesses? They were two witnesses. The word witness can be witness or martyr, right? They were martyrs. They were witnesses for him and they were used for three and a half years. It told us exactly what they were. We didn't have to guess. Well, we come now to the sounding of the seventh trumpet. You have the seven sealed judgments that and this is a scroll that the the Lord had in the, that God almighty, the ancient of days had in his hands on the throne. And John began to weep because there was no one found to open the scroll. The lamb of God was found worthy that was slain from before the foundations of the world was found worthy to open the seals on the scroll. So it's a scroll that would be opened, but had seven seals. Think of wax seals that you would have a signet or a signet ring that you would mark into these seals. And each of these seals would be torn only for the person that it was written to and the power of the signet that was behind it. When we covered that, we believe that it is the title deed of the earth. And we're going to explain a little bit more of that today. And I'll tell you why. Because when the sixth, seventh seal is opened, the seventh trumpets are introduced. That's the seventh seal. It's the introduction of the seven trumpets. So the seventh seal isn't finished until the seventh trumpet is finished. So we have the complete opening of that document in our study tonight. It is the final opening. It is finally complete. It is finally opened. Let me give you a passage here. Revelation 8, 1 and 2 says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. So that was the opening of the seventh seal. Now we've had the six trumpets that have been sounded. At the end of the sixth trumpet, we had an intermediate period. We had a parenthesis. We were told about a strong angel and John eating a little book. Uh, we were told about a couple of other things that we've been covering. The two witnesses, the, 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 the temple that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. There will be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem before it is all said and done. And then when it taught in Revelation 10, when it talked about getting ready to sound this trumpet, listen to what it says. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God will be finished as he declared to his servants and prophets. 
This is Revelation 10. We're in Revelation 11 when the 12th trumpet is sounded. I was thinking the seventh trumpet is sounded. I'm coming, I'm making up my own trumpets now. There's 12 of them now. When the seventh trumpet is sounded. So he says, I'm going to read this and go over it again. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel. So now we learn that when the seventh trumpet is sounded, it's not sounded and then there's an event. That's what we've been seeing. But there's a sounding of the trumpets and it's the days of the sounding of the trumpet. So it's going to continue on. Well, how long is it going to continue? Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 7 tells us when he is about to sound, the mystery of God will be finished. It's going to bring us all of the way to the end. He's going to start to sound this trumpet here. And we're going to have the seven bold judgments that are going to be given. We're going to have the millennium period. We're going to have the judgment of the non-believers. And then we're going to have the judgment of the saints. And it will all be finished. That's during the days of the sounding of the seven trumpets. So every, everything that comes after this follows the very end. In other words, it is, as I put in my title, final judgment begins. This is the beginning of the final judgment or the days of the seventh trumpet because it's not a sounding of just one trumpet. So we pick it up in Revelation 11, verses 15 through 19. Then the seventh angel sounded and there was a loud voice in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Why have the kingdoms of this world now become the kingdoms of Christ? Because the title deed has now been opened. And with the opening completely of the title deed, because out of the seventh seal came the seven trumpets. Now the seven trumpet is sounded. Now he owns, he has taken, he has taken back ownership of the earth. God created it. We, we sing, this is my father's world. I don't know, we don't sing that. We used to sing it, right? This is my father's world. When in reality, there were a few things that happened and control over the world went to Satan. The Bible calls him the God of this world. Let me give you a couple of verses. First of all, in Genesis 1:28, it says, then God blessed them. This is after creating man and woman in his image. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. He was asking Adam and Eve to subdue the earth and rule over it. He gave them the right to be able to rule. Now it is believed that when they decided that they wanted to eat of the tree of good and, uh, and evil, that God then, that they subjected it or gave it over to Satan. In Luke 4, 5 and 7, when Jesus is being tempted, here's what it says. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment and time. Remember what it said when, when the seventh trumpet was sounded? The kingdoms of this world have now become the kingdoms of Christ. So he takes him up on a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me. 
Now, we don't know exactly when that happened, but probably at the fall, the fall of Adam and Eve that were given dominion of the earth and given control over the kingdoms. But now they've been delivered to him. And I give it to whomever I wish, Satan said. Now, Jesus could have argued with him. Jesus could have said, you don't have control of the kingdoms of the world. But instead, he said, uh, therefore, uh, if you worship me, I will give it uh, as you, I will give, I will give. <laughs> Let me read it for you. Slow down. I'll be okay. I got a lot to get through. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Jesus said, it says you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. And so at this point, he rejected what he said would be given. Now, Revelation 11, 15. We just read it. We'll read it again. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. He fulfilled what needed to be done to take back the kingdoms of the world. So now you might think, well, then everything's finished. No, because now there will be judgment. That's what we're gonna continue to read. Look at verse 16. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. So he now controls it. But there's something interesting about this. We've seen in the book of Revelation, the statement, the one who is and who was and who is to come. But if you guys have the NIV or the ESV, you're going to notice it doesn't say is to come because that's not in the original manuscripts. The, the King James and the New King James, uh, the people who are putting the, the versions together, thought you should know that the one who is and was is the one who's going to come. Because it's said in other places, they wanted to add it here. That's a mistake. Now, don't be shaken by that because we're talking about versions of the Bible. We're not talking about manuscripts. We're not talking about God's word not being true, that we would say this isn't found in the original manuscripts doesn't mean anything when it comes to the authority of the word of God. There are different versions. And I realize there are the new King James Version only people that are out there. And this is really gonna upset you because you believe that when the men who were putting together the King James Version of the Bible, that they were they were anointed by God and, and they, what they wrote was inerrant in the new King James or the King James and the King James Bible is the only real Bible that's out there. But really, when you think about it, I want to be as respectful as I can towards King James only people. Okay, I want to be respectful towards them. But when you think about it, what about somebody that only reads Portuguese? What about somebody that only reads uh, German or, or Russian? Do they not have the word of God? Did God only give it to English speaking people? Did God only give the New King James Version to us and that was it? And on top of that, there are mistakes in the, New King, in, the, in the King James Bible. There are things that you can go back and look at and go, this is not what the actual text says. The text says something different. So there are mistakes that are in it. So the, the New King James, don't, don't let that shake you. So why would God say, why would God, in the beginning of the book of Revelation, the one who is and who was and who is to come, 
And now when the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of Christ and we're now in the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpets, why would he say not the one who is to come? Because he's already in control. Because he's reigning. He's the one who is and was. And that's it. He is and he was. Because all the things are going to be taken care of. And I think that's what he's saying here. He says, because you have taken your great power and to reign. The one who is and was because you have taken your great power and reigned. Now, remember when taking your power and reign, we have the Lamb of God. He is the Christ and the kingdoms of the world have now become his and he is ruling. And I am reminded of Daniel chapter seven. And I like to read this passage to you often because it often blows my mind that in the Old Testament, you have thrones that are set up in the book of Daniel and you have the son of man who is a human coming to the ancient of days and is given power and dominion and a kingdom. The event that we are seeing taking place in Revelation chapter 11 is the event of Daniel 7. Listen to what it says. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I was watching in the night vision and behold one like the son of man. That just means a human. But it was Jesus's favorite phrase for himself. It is actually a divine statement, even though it means human, because God is going to become flesh, the incarnation. Isaiah 9, 6, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father. So I was watching in this vision and behold, one like the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days. So now we have these two powers, a, a human who comes on the clouds and the ancient of days. And you often see two powers in the Old Testament. The idea of the Trinity, there are Jewish scholars who will say that the idea of the Trinity was not made up in the New Testament, but was brought forward out of the Old Testament. You've got the Son of God and you've got the Ancient of Days, or you've got the Son of Man, the Ancient of Days, and the Holy Spirit. And you can find the Trinity in the Old Testament. And these are Jewish scholars who say this, not Christian Jewish scholars, but Jewish scholars who wrote years and years ago about the two powers that you would find. And here we have the Son of Man and God. And this is one of the two power passages. So it says then, and they brought him near before him to the ancient of days. And he had given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. The kingdoms of, uh, of, of this world have now become the kingdoms of Christ. That all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. This is Daniel. Which, which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. So they talk about the permanency of the reigning now that the seventh trumpet has been sounded and we see it all the way back in the book of Daniel. Now, the very next thing it says is that the nations were angry. This is verse 18. When Jesus takes control of the kingdoms of the world, the nations become angry. Why? because they don't want to follow Christ. They don't want to serve him. When we talk about being separated from God forever, part of being separated from God forever is that people don't want to be with him. They don't want to know him. They don't want to serve him. They don't want to follow him. One of the things that Frank Turek will do when he's talking to students, when he, when he senses that someone is an, 
antagonistic towards God, he'll ask him, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And he says that there are people who will hear him and say, no, if Christianity were true, I would not become a Christian. What a thought. There are people that do not want to be in heaven. God's not going to make them. I know you hate me, but I'm going to make you come up to heaven and be with me. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. Now, the tribulation period is known as the time of God's wrath. And there's been wrath coming from the lamb so far. But right now he's taking control of the kingdom. And now he's ready to judge ungodly men for what they've done. All of the evil, all of the wickedness, all of those who haven't repented, all of those who haven't turned is all going to be poured out, on the, poured out on the world now. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroyed the earth. This is why I say the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the days of it go all the way through the millennium because this judgment takes place at the end of the millennium. There's the second resurrection, which is called the second death. And those who don't follow Christ, the books will be opened and they will be judged. He's talking about that here. And we're gonna receive our rewards. We're gonna go before the Bema seat of Christ and he's gonna check my motives He's going to see, is do what I've done for him out of honesty or is it wood, hay and stubble? Is it going to be burned up in fire? That's our judgment. Our judgment will not be the anger of God towards us, but he is going to check to see if the good works you're doing, you're really doing for him. If you've really got an honest, right heart in doing it for him, that's the judgment he's talking about. So the judgment of those who don't know you and the destruction, it's also an interesting statement to me at the very end of this and should destroy those who destroy the earth. The destruction of the earth. Instead of ruling over the earth and taking care of the earth, man is trying to destroy the earth. And I don't know that we're getting into the political area now. I mean, we may just be talking about the earth's resources being used up. We may be talking about a lot of other things. I don't want to get sidetracked on this now, but I do find it in a really interesting statement. I'm going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, the reason this is so astonishing is it mirrors an Old Testament passage about the Son of God. The trumpet sounds, the kingdoms become the kingdom of our gods, the nations become angry. God's now going to judge them. He's going to judge the Though those who are ungodly and those who are godly. And this mirrors a passage in the Old Testament. The one that it mirrors is, let me see if I can find it here because I'm sure I got it. Psalms uh, 2, 1 through 12. Again, I just read you an Old Testament passage out of the book of Daniel that talked about a son of man receiving a power and a kingdom and glory forever. Now listen to Psalms 2, 1 through 12. Why do the nations rage? What did it just say in Revelation 11? The nations were angry. Why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Just because Jesus is taking control of the kingdom doesn't mean that on earth they're going to accept it. They plot vain things. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. 
his anointed is the Christ. So against his Lord and against his anointed. Here again, we have the two powers. Let us break their bonds. We don't want to be under their control. Let us break their bonds. Rulers take counsel um, and, and, in pieces and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. So the one who sits on the throne will laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath. We had learned in Revelation 11, his wrath had come and distress them in deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. The Christ is set upon Zion. During the days of the seven trumpet, he's going to rule in Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. We're talking about God having a son and that son being begotten in Psalms chapter two. Again, this isn't the New Testament. This is the Old Testament that's talking about the son of God. He says, today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. The nations of this world become the nations of Christ. In Acts chapter two, he gives the son who's begotten the nations for an inheritance. He goes on to say here, and the ends of the earth as your possessions, you shall break them with a rod of iron. Same judgment we learned in Revelation 11. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Therefore, now God speaks to the kings of the earth, the ones that are raging, the ones who are angry. Therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. You've got to make things right between you and the begotten son. This is an amazing passage. When you break it down, when you look at, you know, it, Paul, it said, would go into synagogues and he would reason with them from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. I wonder if Psalms 2 was ever one that he went to because it's an amazing passage that talks about a begotten son of God who has given the world. And if you want to make it into heaven, you want to not be judged by him, you've got to kiss the son. There is no other name, uh, Peter said, under heaven whereby men can be saved, but the name Jesus Christ. He says, kiss the son lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled, but a little. And then listen to this. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Blessed is everyone who puts their trust in the son of God who was begotten. You know what the word trust means? What we would say today, believe in. When, when we say, if you believe in him, you will be saved. We aren't saying that you believe he exists. We're saying you trust in him. It's the word trust. Blessed are all of those who put their trust in the son of God who was begotten is what Psalms 2 says, which is absolutely connected to the passage that we're reading in the book of Revelation. Now, not only that, listen to what God says or what is written about Jesus in Hebrews chapter one. This is Hebrews one. Hebrews is 
all throughout the whole book is talking about the preeminence of Christ. Christ is, is preeminent over everything. And chapter one is he's preeminent over the angels. Listen, and, and it's gonna quote two passages here out of the Old Testament. I'll tell you where they're quoted from the Old Testament. So this is Hebrews 1, five through nine. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Sound familiar? Acts chapter two, you are my son, today I've begotten you. To which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father and he shall be my son. And when he brings the firstborn into the world, that means the birth of Christ and the inheritor of it. It doesn't mean that he was created first and then created everything else. The Bible teaches clearly that didn't happen in two places. Colossians 1.15 says that he created everything, visible, invisible, principalities, powers. Nothing was created that was created without him is John 1.2. John chapter 1, verse 2. Nothing was created without him. This is when he comes into the world, he becomes the begotten and he becomes the inheritor. He has the right of the firstborn because he's the only begotten son of God. So he is the right of the firstborn. Everything belongs to him. You and I are adopted into the family of God and we inherit everything with him. That's why when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, don't you know you have everything? And right now you go, I don't have everything. I've got nothing. No, you have everything. It all belongs to you. You are inheriting everything. With Christ, you are a co-inheritor uh, along with Christ. So he says, um, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he said, let all the angels worship him. And the angel, to the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, but to the son, he says, and this is Psalms 45, six, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. To the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. So when the question is asked, is Jesus God or is Jesus the son of God? This last week, we, we released a short on Instagram and it was about, it was about really the chosen. The, the, the creator of the chosen, Dallas Jenkins, had said that Christians and Mormons serve the same Jesus. So in this short, I don't mention it by name. I just say a creator of a very popular television show about Jesus said that Christians and Jesus serve the same Jesus. Then went on to say, but we don't because Jesus is the creator of the world and Christianity and he is created as a spirit baby to heavenly mother in Mormonism. And then in Christianity, and I just went on and pointed out three quick differences that we don't serve the same Jesus. But I noticed, and I don't know, it hit like, I don't know, 13,000 views, which is, this is the best short we've ever had that we've ever put out. But a lot of the people started responding and saying, he's the son of God, not God. He's the son of God and not God. Now, was this mostly Mormons who were just saying that? Or do Christians not understand that the son of God is God, that he's incarnate? And if you don't, if you don't get that now, if you don't understand that the son of God, that that baby they laid in that manger was God, fully man, fully God, you've got to get it now. Hebrews clearly tells us to, to the son, he said, God, your God has anointed you. Micah 5, 2, you, O Bethlehem, though you are small among the, the cities of Eupaphrath, out of you will come one who will rule my people. His days are from everlasting. That's the Old Testament. The child who was born in Bethlehem has days from everlasting. 
Isaiah 9, 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We're gonna have a child born for us and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God and of his kingdom, there'll be no end. It's the Christ who is God in the flesh. He goes on to say here, it's not done yet. The passage is done yet. He says, to which of the angels does he say this? But to his son, he says, uh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Angels, spirits, and his ministers, a flame of fire. But to the son, oh, I already read that. Your son, O God, uh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness, a scepter of your kingdom. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Christ. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with oil of gladness more than your companions. The, has anointed you, that's the Christ. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you. The word Christ means anointed one. Therefore, and he calls him God again. God, the ancient of days, calls the son God again, twice in that passage. So that the son of God is God. I ran into this when one of my, one of my in-laws who went to Church of Christ and the Church of Christ believes that Jesus is God. That's their doctrine. So I don't want to make it sound like they didn't. But as I was having a discussion about him, about baptism, that baptism doesn't save you because that's their thing. The miracle of, of salvation happens at baptism. So I'm arguing with them about, him, uh, about it. And this is back in 81, maybe, maybe even in 1980. And he says to me, and I said something about Jesus being God. And he said, he's the son of God. He, he's not God. And I'm like, also like, well, no, no, he's God. And the, the son of God is God. He is the son of God, but that's God. It's the deity, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit and the three being one. That as a Christian, you've got to get that. And I suddenly realized he doesn't know. He's just been baptized. He thinks he's saved because he's baptized, but he doesn't know what Christianity is about. And I told him, your church teaches that Jesus is the son of God who is God. I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing the, the church of Christ right now. The, the concept that he could be baptized and think that he's saved when he doesn't know Christ or doesn't know enough about the Bible is a pretty amazing concept. But it becomes clear in Psalms and in Hebrews that the son of God is God. Isaiah 9, 6, I already quoted Daniel 7, I already read to you. I watched the night vision. They came and they joined them. Now, again, many Old Testament scholars agree that there are more parts to God than one. Some Old Testament Jewish scholars talk about being 10 in the Godhead. They take it further because it's so obvious in the Old Testament that there's more than one they've added to it. These are things that we don't ever hear. And they'll say, well, it says the Lord our God is one God. That's the Shema. Yes, there is one God in essence and three in persons. They're all, it's all God. There's one God, but three in persons. You say, I don't understand it. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> Verse 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven. Now, all of a sudden, the, the, the days of the seventh trumpet are going to happen. We understand what they are. We understand that Christ is going to rule and reign and bring everything to an end. He's going to finish it all up. Now the temple in heaven is open. Now, remember, God told Moses, make everything according to the pattern because this is a copy of the temple in heaven. 
The temple that Solomon built was a copy of a heavenly temple. That's why it was important to follow the pattern. Make everything according to the pattern. So there is a temple in heaven. There will be a third temple built on Mount Zion, but there is a temple in heaven right now. And it's where Jesus spread his blood, sprinkled his blood. Some people believe, and we're gonna talk about the Ark of the Covenant here in a moment, that that's the throne because the Ark of the Covenant in the temple is where God's presence was. was and where we see God's presence when we see pictures of heaven is on the throne. Maybe, I'm not completely sold on that. It says, then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the Ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. Now, here's what I hear people say. Well, that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. God scooped it up and brought it up into heaven. So Indiana Jones is never going to find it. It's not underneath the Temple Mount. It's not in Ethiopia. It's not wherever else people think that it's at. It's up in heaven. Now, when he saw the Ark of the Covenant, there were lightnings and noises and thunders and earthquake and hail. Now, this is not the Ark of the Covenant that was built by Moses. That was a model of the Ark of the Covenant that is up in heaven. It spoke of it. And those who believe that the throne is the Ark of the Covenant believe that, that the things on the Ark of the Covenant speak of the throne. And it's a fairly convincing argument. As I said, I'm not completely convinced of it, but it's a fairly convincing study when you start looking at the different things on the Ark of the Covenant and how they would represent the throne room or God sitting in the midst of the throne room. That would represent that. But listen to what Hebrews 8, 5 says. This is how come I'm confident. This is not the throne that Solomon was the last one that we know of that had it. Hebrews 8, 5. Who serves the copy of the shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make the things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. Earlier in verse two, this is Hebrews 8, two, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. So there is a true tabernacle in heaven that God erected and not man. And then finally in Hebrews 9, 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. So this is not the Ark of the Covenant that was taken up into heaven. In Revelation 16, 17 and 18, it says, then the seventh angel poured out his seventh bowl. Now we go from the seventh trumpet being sounded and we go to the seventh bowl being poured out. And I want you to see a connection between the seventh trumpet and the seventh bowl. It says, then the seventh bowl, then the, then the angel poured out the seventh bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple. What happened at the seventh trumpet? The, the temple was seen and the Ark of the Covenant was seen. A loud voice comes out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, it is done. And there were noises and thunders and lightnings and a great earthquake. Such a great earthquake has not occurred since men were on the earth. Let me read you the last verse of the, our passage. And there was lightning and noises and thunders and earthquake and great hail. It's the same event in the days of the sounding of the, the trumpet and the pouring out of the seventh seal is God's wrath being finished and completed. 
all of it there. Th this is finished. I'm, I'm going to go back one more time. I'm going to read ch uh, chapter 10, verse 7. This is where we started. This is before the seventh trumpet is sounded. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God will be finished and be declared to his servants and prophets. So God's giving us a picture of what it's going to be like when it's completed. Now, there's a lot we got to look at in between now and then. We're going to go to Mystery Babylon, which is a city, okay? And we're talking about the harlot that sits on top of Mystery Babylon. It is a city and it is an economic system. It tells us what they are. When you're reading the book of Revelation, and maybe do this, maybe read ahead. Read chapters 12, 13, and 14. And look for what it says they are because you're going to see what it says they are there. Because we're going to hear a lot of people that will say there are all kinds of different things that they're not. Now, three things in closing. And I'm right on time, by the way. Might seem like it was a long time, but I'm right on time. The kingdoms of the world have been returned to Jesus at the sounding of the seventh trumpet. But the kingdoms of this world are not now returned to Jesus. The kingdoms of this world are run by Satan by the God of this world who blinds the eyes of those who don't believe. And that's why we are not part of this world. To be friends with this world, James tells us, is to commit adultery to God. We, we love him and not the things of this world. Number two, this is the setup of all things to be finished. When this trumpet sounds, now we have the days of the seventh trumpet and from now on, you'll have that so drilled into your mind that you'll know these are the days of the seventh trumpet that go all the way through the millennium period into judgment of both the righteous and the ungodly. And finally, the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. Why did the Ark leave? Why was the Ark taken out of the temple? Because God's presence had already left the temple. And I don't know where the Ark is. Maybe it is in Ethiopia. There's a possibility it is. They claim they've got it in Ethiopia. Maybe they do. Maybe it's under the Temple Mount. There are those that claim that the Temple Mount was built with arches. They didn't just pile on dirt to make the, the top of Mount Moriah flat. They built arches underneath it. This was King Herod that designed the arches. And arches can hold a tremendous amount of weight. And so he built arches on the mountain. So they say under the temple mount in these arches is a cave and people have seen the Ark of the Covenant and that they took it down and they hid it in one of those arches and that it's been discovered and will be brought out when the temple is rebuilt. I don't know. But what the, the Ark of the Covenant that we saw represents is the presence of God. Now, you and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God is in us. No wonder Colossians says that we're to live our lives in such a way that people can see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That we are to represent him wherever we go, be used by him. We, we now are the earthly right now. And even when the tribulation temple is rebuilt, it's us and not them. So that people that argue against a third temple being built will say, well, third temple is not going to be built because we're going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. But the third temple isn't a, 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 a temple that's going to hold the presence of God. We're still going to hold the presence of God. Believers will still hold that presence during that time. All right, stand with me, would you? And let's pray together.
I know a little bit of a complicated study. I hope you were able to follow along. I'm quite sure you were. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we see all the clarity from all of these passages, Old Testament and New Testament, that talk about the Son of God being begotten, the Son that is born, who is called Mighty God and Everlasting Father, the two powers of Revelation, of, of Daniel chapter 7, uh, the, the two powers in Psalms chapter 2. Lord, how just all of these things come together and reveal that it was your plan from the beginning that the Son would give his life and the Father would send the Son, that you would die for us, that our sins could be forgiven. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.